It's really good to see everyone. I want to thank y'all for being a part of the group today um, as we continue in our study of the life of Christ. Um, we started this about two years ago, and uh, I guess one of the reasons why I chose this is because uh, we can, we can, you can miss a couple of weeks and come back and catch right back up with what we're doing. Um, <clears throat> one of the thing, one of our goals is to study the earthly ministry of Jesus. What do I mean when I say the earthly ministry of Jesus? When he started his ministry. Yeah, and and not only that, but uh, you know, Jesus is eternal. He's God. He's God the Son. He's eternal. But we did not know him. We did not know him as the Son until when? Until he started. Well, we have the scriptures, and so we can actually read back a little further. Now, when when would he be recognized as the Son? When he started the scripture. <laughs> Anybody want to take a guess? When was Jesus recognized as the Son? In the scripture, yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. When the angel came and told Mary she was going to have a son, and remember, that's there was a prophecy that was told all the way back in the book of Genesis, right? Remember, God. Uh, told the devil, he said, one day that woman that you deceived is going to have a baby that's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel and he's going to crush your head. So the promise of the coming one has been, uh, as you read through scripture, has been coming all along, but it's not until the birth of Jesus that we we can recognize him as the son because that was when he was born. In the book of John, it says the word, the promise of God became flesh and dwelt among us. The, John, are we, we're going to be in the book of John? Yeah, we're going to actually be in the book of John today. So what we've been doing in this group, in this class for the last couple of years, is we've been studying the life of Jesus here on his earthly ministry from the time of his birth until the time that he ascended into heaven, right? If any of y'all go to a confessional church, y'all probably said the Apostles' Creed and what it say. He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come. To judge the quick and the dead, right? And so right now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. But as you read the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the first two chapters of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the first two chapters of Acts, you get the story of his earthly ministry, his earthly life. When he came here, became a man, uh, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, he became a man, he walked among us, not only to give us an example of what righteousness looks like, but more importantly, to live a righteous life that you and I could not. He came and obeyed His Father and never sinned. He he knew no sin. He was the sinless, perfect Son of God. Therefore, He was qualified to be the sacrifice to die in our place on the cross so that we could have eternal life like Him. And so, we've been studying the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels, which means when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the first two chapters of Acts, you get five different, uh, well, actually, you get four different authors or apostles' um, viewpoints of Jesus' life here on earth. And remember, all of these, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were all inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prayed that the Father would watch over them and keep them safe, and that through uh, their words that others would come to know him. And so, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, now 2,000 years later, you and I can open up 
the scriptures, the word of God, and we can learn about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so that's one of the things that we've been doing. Um, today we're going to be in the book of John, and we're going to look at John chapter 1, uh, John chapter 7, verses 1 through 24. It's a lot of stuff to talk about, and we're just going to kind of go through and see what we can learn today about the life of Christ. So let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. John chapter 7, verses 1 through 24, okay? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come and study your word. Um, we pray, as you promised, that you will grow us and sanctify us through your word, that through your word you will conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus. Um, we all here admit that we live in a dark world and we still struggle with darkness ourselves, but you are light, and we pray that you give us the strength and the willingness to walk in that light and to be a light for others. Help us to uh, know your love, help us to grow in that knowledge, help us to share that love with others as we continue to walk for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so we're going to go ahead and read John chapter 7, verses 1 through 24, and then we'll go back through and we'll kind of break down what we've read. It says, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the feast of the Jews, the feast of Booth, was near. Therefore, his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. <clears throat> For no one who does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, My time is not yet. Uh, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, and its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, Where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, He is a good man. And others were saying, No, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How... Uh, has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the, te of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carry out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered him and said, You have a demon who seeks to kill you. Jesus answered him and said, I did one deed, and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath day so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man entire well on the Sabbath? 
Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. All right. So now let's kind of go back through and see what's going on. <clears throat> For those of you who have not been a part of our class before, or maybe um, you've never read uh, the book of John, um, we have just got finished um, with a section where Jesus uh, fed uh, people with fish and bread. Remember, he did a miracle and he fed 5,000 people with five fish and two loaves of uh, uh, two, uh, five fish and two loaves of bread. He, he fed the, the people, right? And he told them, and as he did that miracle, that he was the bread of life and that whoever uh, partook of him would never go hungry. And um, in John chapter 5, we also saw another miracle where Jesus made a paralyzed man who had been paralyzed for almost 40 years to get up and walk. How many of y'all remember that story? He was at the pool at the pool of Bethesda or Bethsaida, and uh, he he made the man whole. And if y'all remember the reactions in the crowd when he made the man whole, what did the man do? He was excited, wasn't he? He was happy. And what did Jesus tell him to do? Does anybody remember? Yeah, he said, take up your bed and walk. And and there was no problem with that. Why? Because this man had been carrying around dead legs for 38 years. How light do you think that that bed felt compared to dragging them dead legs around for 38 years? You know what I mean? I'm sure he was excited, and I'm sure he had no problem in the world picking up that bed and walking. He was probably dancing as he went along, I would imagine, wouldn't you? How many of you in this room have been very sick before, and God has healed you, right? One of the things that I try to do when I remember it, when I try, um, I just got over, I had a pretty bad, I was sick here for a couple of weeks, uh, here a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things that I try to do is when I feel good, I try to thank God for feeling good. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do that, isn't it? We always pray to Him when we get sick or when we're in trouble. Yeah, because you remember how what feeling good feels like. <laughs> yeah. But what, well, yeah, that's exactly right. But what we need to do is we need to... We need to be able to praise Him and thank Him and recognize that He is the source of all of our health and, and everything that we have at all times. So even when times are going good, we should be able to thank Him that time that things are going good, right? And so <clears throat> He healed this man, and one of the problems with Him healing this man was that it offended the religious crowd. Who remembers why it offended the religious crowd? Yeah, because they claim that Jesus was doing work on the Sabbath. Now, when we get to the end of the lesson today, we'll address that fact because Jesus is going to go into that. But one of the things that we can see through all of this study, of, uh, especially in the book of John or in the life of Christ, is, is that there's this constant collision between the law of God and the traditions of men. There's a constant clash going on between the laws of God and the traditions of men. Well, can somebody tell me what the law of God is? What what when you think of the law of God, the Ten Commandments, right? You think of the law of God, the teachings of God. Now, why does God give his law? What is the purpose for his law? Can somebody help us? To show us that we are sinners, right? To show us that we need Saving from God? Good. That's that's that is exactly one of the reasons for the law. What's another reason for the law? God is love. Well, God is love. There's no doubt about that. Morality. Is the law love? 
Is the law an expression of God's love? <coughs> it is. If we follow God's love, then we're treating other folks with God's love. Okay. All right. So what is the purpose of the law? To guide us. To correct us. Guide us, correct us, to show us our need for a right Savior, direction. to point you in the right direction, to define for you what the difference in right and wrong is, right? to show us that we can't possibly do that. That's exactly right. <laughs> we need a Savior. So the law is an expression of God's will for us. God says, this is what you do. This is the way that you live. You follow my law. You follow my will. So the law is an expression of God's will. And why is it so hard for us to keep the law? We do it every day. We ride down the highway, and instead of doing 55, we do 62. Because we know that as long as we're seven miles under the speed limit, that the policeman won't pull us over, right? We always push. We always push the envelope. We just try to get away with just a little bit more than everybody else. Why is that? We're fallen, and sin affects us, doesn't it? We are sinful people. And sinful people are always looking for the loopholes. And as Christians, do we still do that? Yeah. Yeah. So the law is an expression of God's will. And what you'll find is, all through here, is that there's this constant conflict going on between what God says and what man says. And men have a tendency to get these, make traditions that oppose the will of God. One of the examples that Jesus gives us in the scriptures is uh, that the the people that worked, the priests that worked at the temple would claim that all of their money was Corban, that it was all dedicated to God, and therefore they were letting their mothers and their fathers, their, their, their elderly parents, uh, lack because their money was for the temple. <coughs> so in other words... Because my money is dedicated to God, I can't spend it on my poor mother who is oh, I'm so sorry. can't pay the rent, right? Yep. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, there was a tradition, and there was a rule called the Corbin rule that that you could take money and dedicate it to God, and that it was set apart for God. That was a tradition that they had made. Is there anything wrong in the world world uh, with taking some money and dedicating it to God? Not if you don't take care of your own family. It says to honor your mother, honor your mother and, and your father, father so that your days will be long. If you don't help your parents, right. you're worse than an infidel. Right. So you, so you see what's happening there? They've taken a tradition, a rule that they have made, and they're using it to not only bend but to break the law of God. And so through these constant conflicts... We're seeing that man is using these traditions to try to find loopholes, or really not to find loopholes, but to break God's law without any repercussions from it. And so that's going to be one of the, the backstories in what we're seeing today. So in verse 1 it said, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. All right, so really quickly, Jesus lived in a place called Galilee. And Galilee was about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem, of the where the temple and where all of the religious stuff went on. Mm-hmm. So he was about 60 miles north of there. 
And as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, what you'll find is every time that Jesus goes down to Jerusalem, He always is winding up kicking the hornet's nest, right? He stirs up the crowds. And there's a group of people down there that hate Him. So most of the miracles that He does and most of the teaching and the ministry that He does is up in His hometown in Galilee. Every time that He would go down to the religious center, He would run into conflict with these religious authorities. And so that's one of the things that we're seeing here. So after these things, he was unwilling to walk into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, are Jewish people bad people? No. No, they're the same as us, right? Yeah. We're Gentiles, they're Jews. But when you read, remember, when you read the book of John, specifically the book of John, John always, when he uses the term the Jews, it's in a capital letter, the Jews, he's always referring to the opponents of Jesus. Now, what is Jesus' nationality? Jews. He's Jewish. So it's not that all Jews are bad. It's just that when John uses the term the Jews, it refers to the religious authorities down in and Jerusalem there's, there's that are in opposition. That all of us can use the... The conflict that they had there and the Jews not that wanting their traditions and stuff to change made them enemies. You know, they wanted to kill Jesus. They didn't want their world to change. They, they really weren't looking for the Messiah in that respect. But the lies that they told and the things that they did turned a lot of Jews that will not believe in Jesus today. They still believe that the apostles carried him off or the disciples carried him off. Look what that lie did, what that smaller group of people did for generations, thousands of years, still affecting the Jewish people. So stuff that we do that is dishonest and against God's word is going to affect our grandbabies, our great-grandbabies. So that's something that I didn't realize until maybe just a couple of months ago. Their, Their not willingness to listen to Jesus and to accept Jesus has affected generations of God's people. Very good. Y'all just heard what Lori said? Now, I want you to go all the way back to the garden because God gave Adam a word. That's true. And Adam decided to do the exact opposite of what God told him to do. And so for every generation since Adam, have we been affected by his choice? Mm -hmm. Yes. You better believe it. We all sin. We all die. And it's because Adam chose to disobey God, to turn away from God's word and do something other than what God said. And so uh, you'll find that most of the people that question God's word break God's word. And the reason they're questioning God's word is because they want to break God's word. Yeah, but in the case of the Jews and Jesus, the Jews of today honestly believe they're doing the right thing and they're not. Yeah. And that's how that affected them. But that in their hearts and minds, they think they're doing the right thing. They don't, they don't think they're wrong. Yes. But we do need to remember this. In the same way that sin and rebellion has no uh, ethnical barriers... In other words, no all of us sin, all of us rebel against God, and no matter yeah. what nationality you are, we are all of Adam... In the same way, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit both can change and convict. Well, can convict 
you, and it doesn't matter what your nationality is. That, Whether you're a Muslim or a Jew or a Hindu or, or a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon, you're, you're get it. the Word of God and the Spirit of God can change a human being, can convict a human yes. being. And so what we're seeing here is a group of people that know that Jesus is who He says He is, and they're rejecting Him. There is a knowledge in them. So where's their fear of God? <clears throat> right. And so in the book of Romans, Paul puts it this way. He says that we as human beings willfully suppress the truth. Well, we do. What does that mean that I willfully suppress the truth? I have to willfully suppress the truth because if I don't, it's going to make me look bad. <laughs> so, so think about something like cigarettes, smoking cigarettes. Do people willfully suppress the truth when they smoke cigarettes? Sure. Yeah. I want to give it up. Yeah, they they know that it's bad for them. Yeah. They know it. Right? How many nurses friends do I have that smoke? They they've been to school, they've dissected lung tissue and looked at it under microscopes. They know what emphysema and and lung and they still smoke. we willfully we know that something is willfully bad for us and we suppress that truth. Why? Because we don't want to deal with the truth. The truth is contrary to what we want. And so that's what or we're. Or what our bodies think that it needs. Sure. For, as far as right. addiction goes, which cigarettes is part of. Right. But that addi- every addiction started with a choice. Sure it did. Yep. And then after you're sober for so long, it becomes a choice again, and you still mess up. Yeah. So every addiction starts with a choice. And every wrong, every choice that is opposed to truth is a sin. And so these people, Jesus is, has a group of people who are literally ready to kill him. Why are they ready to kill him? Because he expresses, he walks and talks, and is a living expression of God's will. Yeah, they would all lose their positions, wouldn't they? Yeah, now remember, these people know the law of God forwards and backwards. How many times do we go to church on Sunday... And I know that all of you good Presbyterian, I know that Terry, every week on Sunday night, y'all say the Ten Commandments, don't we y'all? Do. Yeah. How many times do we go and say, uh, the Lord your God is a jealous God, you shall have no other gods before him, and then now step right, right? and then step right outside the church that evening and break the very law sure. that we were just confessing? Well, that's what these people are doing. But remember, the law is the will of God. And Jesus is the very living expression of God's will. So what do you think that the the sinful, rebellious crowd's reaction is going to be to the living expression of God's will? Kill him. Let's willfully suppress him. Let's willfully suppress this truth. And something that we forget often... Um, as Christians, um, so often we start following Christ because we got sick or we uh, we were addicts and, and Jesus saved me and made me whole. And we're following him not for who he is, but for what he can do for me. It's just the selfish nature we have in ourselves that's true and it, and it may be selfish but like a lot of us in addiction we reached out to Chris for what he can do for us because we can't do it on our own and, and we need him so badly yeah we're so broken and so yeah. lost but the transformation right. comes the transformation comes when he changes our heart and 
we can honestly inside of ourselves say inside of ourselves say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven not my will but your will and that's a battle that you and I you and I are going to struggle with every day until we draw our last breath here on this earth because there's a fallen part of me that don't that wants nothing to do with the will of God and that's a battle that's going on and it's very important to know that every Christian is dealing with that so don't give up. And and the reason I bring that up is because we become Christians. We, we we God changes our hearts and we become believers. And then we live in a world that is in constant conflict with the very God who lives inside of us. And we become a part of that conflict. We do. We struggle still, to do the right things. When God is involved in our lives, that world is so much better than living sure. on the street. But what happens is... We we had this false notion that because now that I'm a child of God, everything's going to go good. And the reality is, as a child of God, you are a member of the body of Christ, right? As a child of God, you're a member of the body of Christ. And what was the world's reaction to the physical body of Christ? They killed him. Killing. What do you think that the world's reaction is going to be to you as the spiritual body of Christ? Kill him. Yeah, they and and so often we seek God to be. He does well. He does, and sometimes he lets us die, just like he let his son. Sometimes he's worried for us to be with him. But the point, I, I guess, the point I'm trying to make here is that we we think that because we're children of God that we've hit the lottery and that the whole world around us is it. We try to make friends with the world. We try to love everybody. We try to love the world around us, and the reality is. Jesus says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The world does not love our Father. And so, that is a constant battle that we are going to have to battle the rest of our lives. To become the people that Jesus saved us to be, or to allow the world to influence us and try to drag us back in. Now, the reality is, because the Spirit of God lives within me, I have a, a seal. I have a, a guarantee that He's going to conform me to His image, right? But I need to study His Word. I need to fellowship with other believers. I need to walk in His ways and not the ways of the world. And so what you're seeing here is you're seeing Jesus walking in Galilee. Why? Because every time He walks to Judea, they try to kill Him. And so now this feast is coming up, and His brothers say to Him... Um, Go down to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you are doing. Now, this is something that we've talked about in the past, and this is something that is so important for us to grasp. The world teaches us that seeing is believing. If you show me, I'll what? I'll believe you. Show me, and I'll believe you. But faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. You see, faith is not something that you can... You, you can't prove to somebody who God is and then believe. They have to hear the Word of God and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit has to take place in order, in order for them to be believers. And so just before this passage that we're studying today, Jesus had shown a miracle, didn't He? He fed 5,000. But what did they say as soon as they got finished eating? Does anybody remember? Show us something else. Give us proof that you really are who you say you are. Now they got a belly full of bread and fish. And what are they saying? Show me more. That's exactly right. It's never more. Because unbelief can never be satisfied. 
Why? Why can unbelief never be satisfied? Because the person who is in unbelief is willfully suppressing truth. And so we have to understand that these people are unbelievers. They dress religiously. They talk religiously. They carry their little, their Torahs around, the, the Torah around with them, the Old Testament around with them. They 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 don't uh, they don't cuss, they don't smoke, they don't chew, they don't cheat on their wives, and they don't hang around with folks that do. These are the most re- religious people that you would ever want to meet, and yet they're literally willing to kill God. You can't kill God, but they're willing to kill the Son of God. Why? Because his truth is exposing their their lives. Their lives. And it's the same way with me and you two guys. We have to be honest with that. <clears throat> well, the one Pharisee that was interested in Jesus. Um, well, there were several, but Nicodemus. Nicodemus, was, yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder how he knew. He, he, you think God told him that Jesus was the son? That's, that's great. That's a great point. So if you go back and you read John chapter 3, you'll see that Nicodemus is not yet a believer. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, in order to be a believer, you must be born again. And what did Nicodemus say? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born again? And so at that point, at the end of that uh, that conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, Nicodemus, the, the conversation ends with Nicodemus not being a believer yet. Halfway through the book of John, there's a group of people talking about Jesus, and Nicodemus steps up as a group of the religious crowd, the Pharisees, and Nicodemus said, hey, um, aren't we supposed to let him speak for himself before we convict him of something? And they turn around and look at him and say, you're not one of his followers, are you? And then at the end of the book of... And then at the the end of the book of John... There's a man named Joseph of Arimathea. Do you all remember him? Well, you'll remember him at Easter time because he's the one that brought the, the spices to anoint the body of Christ with. And he just happens to have another Pharisee <laughs> hanging out with him, helping him carry that 150 pounds of spike, spike nard and whatnot. And who was it? Nicodemus. So the point being is, the assumption is that through hearing the Word of God and through the power of the Spirit, over a certain amount of time, Nicodemus' heart has changed and he becomes a believer. So the way that a person becomes a believer is by hearing the truth and receiving the truth and believing the truth. But faith and belief comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. No matter how good of a teacher or a a, a spokesman or a salesman you are, there is no way for you to ever convince anybody to be a believer in God. Your responsibility as a child of God is to share the Word of God that has been shared with you, with others, and you let the Word of God and the Spirit of God do its work. And that's planting a seed. That, that's that right. We sow seeds. We learned that a while back, didn't we? So, what do we do? We share God's promises, and then God's promises begin to work in people's hearts and in their lives. But with this group of people, these are His opponents. And what do we find? We actually find that His brothers said to Him, Hey, why don't you go down there and show proof of who you are? Now remember in 6, at the end of John chapter 6, after Jesus had done all of these miracles, and after Jesus told the crowd, he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to be 
a part of me. What did the crowd do? Does anybody remember? They ran out. They left. left. This five thousand five thousand people that were out there hearing him preach and eating the fish and bread dinner that he gave. Of the five thousand that were out there, it was just his twelve disciples left after he said that. The rest of them left. It's pretty good. That's exactly right. So, so now, now he's now he's at home, and his brothers say to him, "Hey, you need to go down to Judea and show all of your disciples who you really are. Go down there and show them a miracle and prove to them who you are." And one of the things that we know is that at this time, Jesus's own brothers were not believers. Right, not until after he was crucified. And and, and the ascension. In the book of Acts, it tells us that his brothers were in the upper room with the other disciples. So Did after they Reverend, see Jesus descend when he was... Yes. They saw that? And it was 500 people. Oh, oh. So think about that. Remember, at one time, Jesus was in the house teaching and his brothers and his mom coming to get him out of the house because why? Did anybody remember why they came to get him out of the house? They thought he was crazy. They thought he was a lunatic. His own mother and his own brothers. Now think about that. His own mother. Mary knew. Mary knew. And she still thought he'd lost his mind. Maybe she was feeling like, what are the neighbors going to (laughs) think? Feeling the pressure. Yeah. It could be. It could be. But, But think about that. They sing that song at Christmas time. Mary, did you know? Well, she did know. An I angel love came. That song. An angel I love came and told her, and she knew. But she still had doubts. She still struggled. And we also know that the book of James and the book of Jude were written by who? His brother. Two of Jesus' physical yeah. brothers. Yeah. So we know that Jesus had. Uh, uh, it was, by, I think, like thirteen in his family. It was a big family. And so think about I didn't know it was that right? big. So think about that. Even his, even the people that grew up with him in his house. Could you imagine growing up as Jesus' little brother? Like he's the firstborn, right? We know yeah. he's the firstborn because he was born of a virgin. But now he's got all these brothers falling back behind him. And th- he never disobeyed his parents. Like he always cleaned his room and he never was late for curfew. Right? He always made good grades. Like he didn't do anything bad. Could you imagine growing up behind him, being one of the yeah. kids coming up behind him? Mm-hmm. I'd be chopped. Brian, yeah. Yeah. the life of Brian. <laughs> yeah. That's a terrible one. Yeah. But, but so think about that. So all of those years, even all of those years of living with Jesus, and they were still not believers. And so they're trying to convince him to go down to Jerusalem in order to... It's very hard to make those that close to you. Good. It's very hard. That was one of the things that I wanted to bring up in this. Just because you become a believer does not necessarily mean that your family will. Right. And oftentimes, well, I pray for that. and I pray for that. And oftentimes, some of the greatest opposition that you will have will be from your physical. They know you. They've seen you at your baddest yeah. moments. We have ten, and I always wanted to be Joseph and one of my brothers to bow down to me. Yeah. It never happened. <laughs> At least not yet. But you know, you know, Lori, it's funny you bring that up because I was actually thinking about that the other day. I was thinking about my past, and I was thinking about some of the people that knew me when I was younger. Like, And I was a selfish, I, I was an awful person. And I think about some of those people that knew me. And I think about maybe somebody 
finding one of these recordings on the internet with you know with with one of our class on here and like their attitude towards me thinking who does this guy think he is like that jerk's gonna get up there and like talk about jesus like he's some holy christian you know and I, I think about that sometimes. Don't do, do any of y'all think about it? Like I do. people knew me in my past. I do, and and I got to confront it because you know my, I didn't think my family would have like when I was going to Vermont. They knew me. They knew me yeah. getting high and not doing the right thing and everything. And so nobody answered me when I was telling them I'm, I'm crossing the lake, you know. And when I got to grandma's, they were all there. So for me, <coughs> it was probably unbelievable to start with, but it ended up being wow. Look what Jesus has yep. done for her. But there's always going to be those people that just don't believe it. Yep. And one of the things yeah. that, one of the, the verses that come into mind as I was thinking about that was when John the Baptist was, was asked about the disciples following Jesus instead of following him. And you know what he said? He said, I must decrease and he must increase. See, it's not about me. Mm. It's not about me. Right. And we, we probably won't get to it today, but Jesus is going to talk about the difference in someone who is speaking truth and someone who is not speaking truth. So, when someone is speaking truth, they're seeking to glorify God. When someone is not speaking the truth, they're seeking right. to glorify God. Right. So themselves. what you're saying is it really it, it matters a hill of beans what those people think. That's exactly right. Because if we have to be promoting Christ and the Christ's truth. glory. We share as well. Nothing to do well with what Jesus has done in our life. It doesn't matter. Right. It'll become evident, but we don't have it, to. It, it is but, evident. But is there not even in our fallen nature a sense to like we want to even draw attention to that? Like you know what I mean? Like, look at me now. You know, there's. See, I, I want to say that that's a gift too. I remember Mr. Barry always telling me, make sure you don't put your thumbs in. You know, be all proud because you've made this big change and you're bringing people to Christ. And for me, the gift that Christ gave me is I always feel inadequate. I always feel I always feel like I can do more. So, so that's not been a problem for me. But it, I see how it could be. Yeah. And and it's and it's um, it's very important for us to realize that that even in our fallen nature, we still like to have attention drawn to ourselves, don't we? we? Like we we. But Christ in my life is I don't want that. Yeah. Because we but know I who used we to want attention. Yeah. yeah. Because we know who we really are now. Yeah. He's shown us who yeah, we don't are. Put me out front. Amen. All right, so um, he, he, his brothers are saying to him, um, uh, go and show yourself to the world. And remember, we've talked about this in the past. There are several different reactions to Jesus. There are several different groups of people that are following Jesus. There's a group of people who are truly believers that are truly his disciples. And that number is very small, isn't it? And why are they following Jesus? Yeah, I'm part of it. Well, I mean, part of it. well, no. Remember what Peter? Remember what Peter said? Where else can we go? You have the words of life. There is nowhere else. It's heaven or hell. He has the truth. He has the words of life. You're going to be in had, one place or the other. Right. And so there's that group. Then there was the group of people that hated him, the ones that wanted to kill him. They were always trying to catch him in his words, trying to trip him up and trying to cause him harm. And then there was that middle group, that group that just was kind of there for the show. You know? Like it's the origin of, of parables. Yeah. Came from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As he was trying to 
slow people off who weren't serious. Yeah, yeah. The, the four there were four different types of soil. Confuse them. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and so it, it, all of these different groups are out there. And right now at this time, his his own brothers, his <laughs> own family is kind of that middle crowd. They don't believe. They're not believers, but they're trying to get him to go prove himself. If you really are who you say you are, go go do this. And that was the very temptation that the devil tempted yeah. Jesus with yeah. in the wilderness, wasn't it? That's very tempting because that's his own family. Yeah. And he wants them to know because not not only does he want all of us to be able to go to heaven, but especially you want your kids, your brothers, your sisters, your mothers. Yeah. You want them to be able to share the love of God for eternity. So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, and its deeds are evil. You go to the feast yourself. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. All right, so this is at a time when Lori steps in with one of her rabbit, rabbit holes. Because she wants to know. She's got a question, and she said, wait a minute. Why did Jesus say my time has not yet come, and I'm not going to the festival, but then he shows up at the festival? Anyway. Yeah, I know that's one of Lori's questions. All right, she always finds those questions. His mom had a big stick. <laughs> but the point is that three times a year, all Jewish males went down to Jer- or went up to Jerusalem. Three times a year, there was three feasts every year: feast of Passover and the feast of Pentecost and the feast. And they were going at, to Jerusalem for the temple to be in the temple. Yeah, yeah. And so there was three feasts every year that all the male Jews were required to be at. Do you remember the story of Jesus when he was just a little kid and they yeah, went down to Jerusalem and then he went, he was, they found him, they left him, they went back halfway back home and like, hey, we left Jesus. And they had to go back and get him. <laughs> well, that was during one of those festivals. Yeah. Right? It was one of those festivals. And so three times a year they were required to go down and this was the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. B-O-O-T-H-S. A booth is a tent. This was a time that they would remember their wanderings in the wilderness. Now, what is it, was the wandering in the wilderness? Remember the Passover when they killed the lamb? And then they, they left Egypt, let my people go, and then they went and they lived in the wilderness. How long did they live in the wilderness? Years. Forty years. And what did they live in while they lived in the wilderness? Tents. Tents. They were constantly moving around. So this festival, this festival, the festival of tabernacles or booths, was a time every year that they would all go down and get into Jerusalem around the, the temple. And they would build little stick houses, little uh, straw houses, little tents, and live in those tents for the, during the celebration. Mm. And it was a time of remembrance, just like we have Thanksgiving, we have Christmas. Uh, this would be one of their special times. Now they got RVs, right? Yeah, now they have RVs. <laughs> but actually, even here in Savannah, the, uh, the Jewish community still practices. Still uh, yeah, every every year at, uh, at that time, they it's like in October, and uh, they uh, they they build a little booth outside their house. They put lights around it. And, oh wow! And uh, and, and stand. It's a remembrance of the wilderness. Right. And most of them most are living of them in Kansas live them, but they put them yeah, up. Yeah, they put them up. Like a Christmas tree. Right. And so uh, this would be a time of the year that everybody would go down. And so what Jesus is basically saying is you go on down there. They, what did the, what was his brothers wanting to go down there to do? To prove who he was? Show out. Prove who he was in front of all the religious crowd and all the people. I mean, there's going to be a million people there. Jesus, go down there. You can show them. Yeah. And what he's saying, my time has not yet come. You go down, I'm not going. 
But what he was saying was, I'm not going at this time. Now remember, what why what is one of the reasons he's saying he's not going down there? Because why? Because time has not come yet. His time has not come, but they're also trying to what? Kill him. Well, one of the ways that they would be looking for him is with him to be with who? His mother. With his family. Yeah. Oh yeah. So he said, No, y'all going down there, I'm not going. He could put them in danger. And yeah, he could put them in danger. That's exactly right. And so he quietly went down on his own. He he quietly comes later on. Um, in verse uh, 9, having said these things, he stayed in Galilee. But verse 10, his brothers had gone to the feast, then he himself also went, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast, and they were saying, where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying he is a good man. Others were saying no. On the contrary, he leads people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. You know, <clears throat> the, the Jewish tradition today, even today in, in, uh, in their writings is, is that Jesus was a heretic and that he was teaching a false doctrine and he was crucified uh, for that. That is the reason why he was crucified because he was a heretic and he was teaching false doctrine. The sign said the king of the Jews mm-hmm. and they said he wasn't. Yeah, they said take that sign down. He's not, uh, he's not our king. See, and, but that argument really doesn't fly because he was crucified by the Romans. No, he break. was crucified by the Jews. By the the Romans put the nails in him. The right, Jews politically put him in the position. Politically, but, but, but that's where the power always law. comes is politics. Right. Whoever holds this, is it the soldier with the AK-47? Pilate was going to let him go. Or is it the commander that says, go kill that guy? Pilate was going to let him go. Yeah. So the Jews could not crucify him because it was only Rome that had the authority to execute the death sentence. For eternity, for the rest of the time that earth is earth, before Jesus comes back, Pilate's name is going to be said by the religious people how, you know, yeah. And remember when And remember what Pilate did. He said, I washed my hands of this yeah, man. And what did the Jews say? I washed my hands of his blood. And what did the Jews say? Let his blood be on us and our children. Yeah. Crucified. And he said, I'm in a great mood. I'm turning somebody loose today. Let's make it Jesus. Yeah. He yeah. said, No, give us Barabbas. Yeah. 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 So uh, he, uh, That's crazy. we have to understand that there are several reactions to the teachings of Jesus. There are several reactions to Jesus himself. And not only were they the, those reactions during that time, it's still today, isn't it? And you and I in this room, all of us, will answer for how we respond to the truth of who Jesus is. That's what Jesus asked Peter. He said, who do you say that I am? And what did Jesus say? Uh, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say to him? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjonas, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven is the one that made you made it known to you. So in other words, Peter recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, <clears throat> not because he was convinced by proofs, but because God changed his heart and gave him the faith and the ability to believe. And so each of us in this room 
if we are truly born again, blood-bought children of God, it is because God has changed our heart. Because God, it is because Christ's blood purchased our salvation on that cross, and through the preaching of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, you have become His child. But if there's someone in this room or someone that listens to this lesson today that is not a believer, it is only through the power of God's promises, His Word, and the power of the Holy Spirit that you can become a believer. And if you're not a believer, your reaction will generally be what? What, what do we learn today? To willfully what? Suppress that truth. Right. Right. If you're not a believer, and, and you probably won't get to this point of the lesson. I'll just turn it off. Well, the important thing I was talking about this yesterday is uh, a lot of people say, oh, the Bible's too confusing, I can't understand, it's too complicated. And I say, well, do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Right. I mean, that's all in uh, ignorant. I don't want to say ignorant, but a person who's not very knowledgeable. That's all right. they need to know, right? So, yeah, that's pretty simple. But remember that almost everyone that believed and followed Jesus, it, it wasn't. It was never the educated crowd that followed him. Mm-hmm. You know, it was. I spoke about that in our Christian recovery meeting last night. We're the we're the people that he came for. Right. It's us. So. The truth of the matter is is that people don't want to believe the Bible and people don't believe the Bible and it's not because of a mental capacity, it's because of a spiritual capacity. Paul said it this way, the natural man receiveth not the things of God for they are foolish and he cannot understand them. They're dumb. They don't mean anything to him. So, the reason that a person won't believe is not because they can't understand the Scriptures, it's because they are unwilling to understand the Scriptures. I guess, but what if that same person can't pass school, they don't remember their school well, lessons, they don't remember, they right. actually have a learning Well, what did, what did Jesus say? Except you become as little children, you can in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Right? So, the... The simple proclamation of the gospel is is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And that's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has died for sinners like me and you. And if we repent, if we turn from sin and self, and even an uneducated man knows that there's such a thing as right and wrong. And even an uneducated man has a conscience and even an, un, uh, an uneducated man who has a conscience uh, can be convicted by the Spirit of God that he's doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And the command is to turn away from the wicked things that you are doing and turn to what Christ has done for you on the cross and he will uh, save you, that you will be saved, that you well, will not perish. There several instances in the Bible where, like Jesus said, you and your household have been saved this day. I could almost say for certain that the lowly maid couldn't read a word. Everybody in that household would be saved. Each one made an independent decision. It was not, I believed in my household was saved. So each made his own decision. And and I pray for for my children like that too because, and I remind God of his promise um, that you and your children, but it's to bring my children to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they can be saved. It's not just save them because they're my kids. Right. And and when it comes to the household, so think about this. Abraham had Isaac and uh, uh, Ishmael. Yeah. They're both of his household. Mm-hmm. Ishmael never became a believer. 
Well, he believed Isaac and uh, Allah, Isaac right? had Jacob. <laughs> Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Okay, but um, didn't uh, Ishmael Ishmael start Muslims basically? Is he? A lot of people say that. So, well, it's not the, uh, the point, unheard of. The point I'm trying to make is, is that just because you were a member of a household does not necessarily make you a believer. Dang it. Ooh, All right, let's, let me go back. If I can intercede here, one thing about that. The reason it's generally felt that Abraham and Isaac was was part of the connection to Islam is that they all believed that Jesus was a all right no but this really isn't important but Jesus is was a prophet but not son of God and they believed that Abraham was the father of Islam and Christianity so therefore if you look at that you've got to figure at some point pretty quickly it people surmise that if they believe that Abraham was the father and we figure that the Jews figured that he was the father of Judaism then somehow that brought back to the central point the 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 Muslims but are, are the Muslims have no problem with the first five books of the Bible either writing to Moses either. Yeah. They don't have any problem with that. I mean, they don't eat pork for that That's reason. What I've always heard is they go by the first five books. The Pentateuch. Yeah, but they also have a whole bunch more beyond that. So, that they go by. but I, I, I did want to get. I, I thought that what you brought up was very important to understand. <laughs> uh, because so the the reality is this. Um, and I know that you're Catholic, yeah. and uh, and I know that I have some some a lot of folks in here are Presbyterian too. So one of the reasons why the Presbyterians say that we baptize babies is because they're a member of the household. But a Presbyterian will tell you that just because a child is baptized does not necessarily mean that they're saved. In other words, it's not regeneration. All right, so the the Presbyterian is saying the reason that we baptize our child is because he's a member of the covenant family. He's a member of the household. He's a member of the family. But a Presbyterian will tell you that a person's heart has to be regenerated before they truly become a child of God. So just because someone is in the visible household does not necessarily mean that they are a member of the invisible church. Well, you know, a big thing Catholic Church is the babies that were aborted and the holy innocents right. and all that. Right. Get straight to heaven. So. Right. And that's why they that's why they baptize. That, uh, infant baptism, there's a big difference in Protestants and their infant baptism and Catholics and their infant baptism. But both Protestants that baptize babies and the Catholics that baptize babies both use that household statement is a that this child is a member of our household the difference being that um that a catholic would believe that if you baptize a baby they're going to heaven the presbyterian says this child is a member of the covenant he's a member of the visible church but he's not necessarily a member of the invisible church until he makes a confession of faith you hear a lot about living off grandma's prayers and things like that. Right, and that, and we know that doesn't work. <laughs> All right, so we got we got to wind down. So think about this to end the, the conversation. Okay. Jesus's brothers were in his household, mm-hmm. but at that time they weren't believers. So you know, they were saved until they until they a person is saved when they are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. That's when a person is saved. Salvation is never induced by a work of man. It's always induced by a work of God. 
that's one of the reasons. I mean, I, I, I love you. You're, you're my dear friend, Michael. Oh, yeah. But that is yeah. one of the main reasons that they had the Reformation yeah, was because yeah, yeah. the Catholics were saying you baptize a baby and it, it, it's saved. Like that. That's is baptismal regeneration is a, is a means of salvation. And the but we gotta go. All right, let's all close with a word of prayer. It's really good to see y'all. Um, I guess I'll see y'all in March, May. May. All right. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for those who are here. Uh, we pray that as we uh, study your word and, and grow in our knowledge of your word, that you will use it to conform us to your image. Help us. Help those who may hear this that are still struggling in unbelief. Um, help them to, to, to come to a saving knowledge of, of you, Jesus, of, of your beauty and, and goodness and, and power and might, and help them to know you. And if there be somebody here today who is still struggling with their own beliefs, um, I pray that something that we've taught today will confirm uh, your truth in their heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.